So you guys remember last week, Joseph came up and he was preaching for us. And, and uh, we actually began to review in this, this first chapter, or this 11th chapter of Romans, we began to review Paul's contemplation of the hardening, the partial hardening of the Jewish people. And Paul basically asked this question. It must going to be some good preaching today. Getting ready for it. <laughs> so Paul began to ask the question, has God rejected his people? Has God rejected the Jewish people? And if you remember, the, the answer was an emphatic no. God has not rejected Israel. He has not re- rejected the Jews. But the truth of us is there is there was a partial hardening, a falling away, and their fall was not actually there to put an end to the Jewish nation. It wasn't an end to, to put, put an end to Israel, but rather God was using it as an opportunity to graft in some wild olive branches into his tree, namely you and I. And Paul reminds us not to get prideful. You know, that's one of the things I think that that happens in the church sometimes is that uh even if we do it inadvertently, we're a little prideful, like, oh, God chose us now. He's, re- he's, he's turned his back on the Jews. He's chose us now. And we, we, we begin to start thinking about that, that somehow it was because of our greatness that God included us in. That somehow the Gentiles of the time, they started doing some stuff right and God in, included us in the plan. When Paul reminded us not to get prideful. He said, if God would remove the natural branches, how much more so if we act in arrogance and we don't continue in his kindness, will he remove us as well? And the truth is, is that the Jews, if, if, if they will stop continuing in unbelief, they'll be grafted right back in to the tree. Because the truth is, is, is just like Paul said, the branches aren't supporting the root, the root are supporting the branches. And continuing from that point, actually, this grafting back in of Israel, the salvation of Israel is where we begin today as, as Paul actually begins to talk about the, the prophetic scriptures of Israel's salvation. Somehow, and I don't know where it comes from, but there's an idea that the, the Jewish nation of Israel has been rejected by God. Or at least if they've not been outright rejected, then they've somehow fulfilled their purpose and are no longer in the plan of God. Now, I truly believe that that God is building His church right now and God is focused on building His church. And I also believe that all people, regardless of their background, it doesn't matter if they're they're Jews or Gentiles, it doesn't matter if they're rich or they're poor, man or woman, it doesn't matter. They're going to have to turn towards Jesus to be grafted in. It's going to be required to place their faith in Jesus. Because under no other name shall man be saved. But just because God is doing a work in the church right now does not mean He has swept His previous promises under the rug. Because the truth is, is if God was was apt to just make promises and then just turn them away later, I don't think that's the kind of God we'd want to be serving anyway. God has a plan for Israel. And He has made promises concerning them. And the thing about God's Word is that it doesn't return void. And that's what we're going to be reviewing today is the mystery of God's plan for the salvation of Israel. In verses 11-25, it says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. One, I want you to know that what has happened to Israel was not a surprise to God. What has happened to Israel was not a reaction to God by God either. God is not a 
a, a, a toddler up in heaven throwing a tantrum because the Jews were acting like they didn't like him anymore. Israel's always been part of God's plan, and I got a news flash for you guys. And you might not have known this. You probably want to write this down. I'll wait for you guys to get pens and your phones. Write this down. This is important. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. This hardening that has overcome Israel, it's not final. If you remember last week when Joseph was reading in verse 12, Romans 11, verse 12, it says, Now if their trespasses means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentile, how much more will their full inclusion mean? That means there's some good stuff coming. There's something more coming. When Jesus returns, there's going to be a remaking of heaven and earth. And it's not just going to be the Gentiles in heaven because as a nation, Israel will turn back towards God. There's some good stuff coming. You know, that's one of the things you should remind yourself when you're going throughout your day-to-day lives and you look around and you see what's going on in the news. I tell you what, I used to listen to some political uh, uh, podcasts and I would spend some time in the news and I, I found out that I, I began to look up and I realized that I was just always almost depressed. I, I, was, I was always bummed out and, and my heart hurt from what some people were doing and the ideas that some people had. And, and, and it was breaking my heart every time I listened to it. And it didn't seem like it was getting better. It just continues to get worse and worse. And I finally had to realize that i got to stop listening to this stuff. Instead, I just pray for this country. I pray for these people. Truth is, that's going to do them a lot more than me listening to some, somebody talk on the radio, on a podcast or YouTube. But I, I begin to realize that when I get involved in what's going on in this world, it just breaks my heart. And, and I have to remind myself that there's some good stuff coming. There's more than just what's going on in the world. I serve a God who is faithful. But then we come to the question, then if there's something good coming, if there's more to come, what is God waiting for? And the truth is, is that God is waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. That's what the Scripture says. This partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Today, in this age, for this generation, God in His grace has invited the Gentiles in. And He is out to take a people for His name. This is what it says in Acts 15, 12-14. All the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brother, listen, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. Right now, God is focused on bringing the Gentiles in. And I'm always so thankful for how God, how slow God seems to be being, at least in, in my eyes. I tell you what, I'm, I'm glad He didn't decide to, to call it a day 20 years ago. You guys would be missing one of the most handsome pastors in heaven that you guys ever saw had that happen. I'm glad He was slow. And I'm glad He's still slow now. I still remember one of the 
the, the craziest things. I heard somebody say we were at a, at a youth conference and, and the, 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 the preacher got up there and just had an amazing message and, and the hearts of, it seemed like every youth in the place was convicted and he did an altar call and they all came up and they all gave their, their lives to Jesus. And it was amazing to see God move among so many young people. But afterwards, I was talking to some other people and one of the persons said, I heard him say this, he said, you know what, I wish Jesus would just come back right now. That way they would all get in. And I understand his sentiment, but I remember thinking, was my heart broke at the time and I was thinking, what about everybody else? What about all the people that haven't had an opportunity yet? What about, it would be good for these kids, but what about all those that he's been patient for to let them come in? Now, I know it's true now that individual Jews are being saved. But what Paul's referring to here, this partial hardening coming upon Israel, is not about individual Jews, but he's talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. And we see that today. The nation of Israel as a whole still rejects Jesus as the Messiah. But the age that we are in now is one that God has decided to invest in His church, invest in the Gentiles. He's looking to build His church. And I don't know if you guys know this. If you've been here a while, you know this, but He's commissioned us to build His church. Matthew 28, 19-20 is the Great Commission. For so many of us, it's the great omission in our life. But the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And the truth is that when we have done our job, we're going to see the end come. I've heard it said that every, every generation has had the manpower and the resources to spread the gospel to the entire world. But the truth is, is we keep coming up short. But once we finally meet that goal, this is what it says in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And like I said, if we wonder... What's taken so long is this patience for us. 2 Peter 3.9, we've, we've mentioned this, this Scripture many times since we've gone through the book of Romans. But it said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But as Paul goes on, he says, I want to go ahead and share this mystery with you. When he says this mystery that he's wanting to share. Let's be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. He's talking to the Gentiles right now, the Roman church. And the thing is, in Scripture, a mystery is, is not a truth that's difficult to understand, but it's just a truth that's been previously unrevealed or therefore unknown. It's not like something that God was trying to hide from us per se. It just hasn't been revealed yet. And this mystery that he's talking about, the partial hardening, is not because we are so amazing. My wife's pretty amazing. But the rest of us, I don't know. Actually, you guys are pretty amazing too. But me, I know some stuff about me that you don't know. And don't ask me, I'm not going to tell you. But the truth is, is that, that the Gentiles weren't brought in because we're amazing, because we're something special, because they were doing everything right. They came in because a partial hardening came over over Israel so that we could be brought into the fold. And Paul says, I don't, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own sight. He said, lest you be conceited, lest you be arrogant to think that somehow the Gentiles have been elevated above the place 
of the Israelites, the Jews. Because the truth is, as far as God is concerned, He shows no partiality. There is no distinction. We're all grafted in by grace and Jews and Greeks alike. Amen? And then he continues on in verse 26 through 27. It says, And in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Church, I want you to understand that Israel has not been forgotten. They've not been written off. And the truth is, is that there will be a time when Israel will be saved because God is faithful and He keeps His promise. God's covenants are not to be made null. The truth is, is if that were a reality, and I, I wonder about the people who, who have invested in this theory, who, who have subscribed to this, is wouldn't that make you a little bit nervous? If God could at any point just pull back His promises towards you. If God could become hypocritical and still remain God. If God could promise you one thing and do another. I think if that were possible, that would be something that we should be afraid of. We should be nervous about. Because we go from then a people who can be certain that we're saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ to like many other religions in the world, to people who hope that they'll be saved. They think they're, they're hoping that when they stand before their God, their stuff will stack up on one end higher than the other and they're going to make it. If it were possible for God to turn away from His promises, this is not a place that we would want to be. And here, once again, Paul is referring to the nation of Israel, not to individual Jews. When Jesus returns, the nation of Israel will turn back to Him. That's what the Scripture says. And I don't believe this means that every single Jewish person will be saved. It's talking about the nation, not individual Jews. Just like the fullness of the Gentiles does not mean that every single Gentile will be saved. Many will still reject Him. Pray, It's a lot fewer than we could ever imagine. The truth is, I pray that they'll all turn towards Him and, and accept Him. Just like Paul said, Paul says, I would give up my own salvation if it would be that my brothers would come in. But those who see Him and receive Him, they will be saved. And I don't think it's going to be a few here and a few there. That's what we're seeing now, that there are Jews right now that, that, that do believe in Jesus. They see them as their Messiah and they're being saved now. But I think there's going to come a time where nationally we're going to see a, a national turning towards Jesus. And they will be saved. And the truth is, this will be none too soon. It's something we should be praying for even right now. A survey in Tel Aviv of religious practices and attitudes in Israel revealed that only 8% of those con questioned considered themselves unreservedly religious and attend a synagogue daily. 26% said they never enter a synagogue and 13% said they visit a synagogue only once a year. It almost looks like America right now. We used to be a Christian nation. And now even that's slipping away. There are so many people that don't identify, that don't go to the church. And the truth is, there are many people that identify as Christians, but it's more of a cultural thing. Instead of actually attending church and being uh, invested in serving the kingdom of God, there are so many people who just hit it on a check mark. 
when they're filling out a survey, but they're not really serving God. And I think that's what's going on right now in Israel right now. Ethnically, they're Jews. Culturally, they're Jews, but they're not serving God. But there will become a time when they will turn back towards Him. And he continues on in verses 28 through 29. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Like I said, some, some people think that with the creation of the church, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people have been left behind. But their promises that have been made have been canceled. It's funny, I, uh, I still remember, I think I mentioned before when Jan called me, asking me about replacement theology. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. There's a lot of theology names that I have no idea what they are. Sometimes they have to be explained to me. What are you talking about? And then I look at the Word of God and I try to determine what the heck they're talking about. So I remember Jan, when we first started this church, she said, well, how do you feel about replacement theology? So what's that? You know, that's, that's not how you want to be as a young pastor when people are calling you about stuff and no idea what you're talking about. She said the idea that uh, the Jewish people have been replaced by the church and... Uh, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of that before. But here's what I think the Scripture says. The Scripture says that God has made promises to them and, and He's going to keep His promises. He still has a plan for them. But there are many people who think otherwise. And the truth is, is that I, I actually don't see it too much out here, but I think uh, as you go back east, this, this thought process is more prevalent. But I think that Paul has been making this quite clear that this actually has no truth in it. He, he made it clear that this is not the case and he continues to explain here. He says, as regards to the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The truth is, in order for the gospel to, become, to come to us, in order for us to have an opportunity, which was always God's plan, they had to become at odds with God. And this was for our sake. They turned away, and as a result, God had made, his, had made salvation available to us. The gospel was made available to us. But this doesn't change anything in regards to God's love and election of them. Did you know that the Jewish people were chosen in the beginning not because of their performance, but strictly because of God's grace. God has made promises towards Him that He's going to keep and Israel return at the end of time, joining us, Gentiles and the Jewish people together, who have already received Jesus. We will all be brought into the fold. Matter of fact, the Scripture refers to us being brought into their fold. They have not been excluded from a better covenant because they slipped up under the old one. Their election and inclusion of the, the first covenant was not based on their performance, so why would, why would anyone think that their failure would exclude them from the new covenant? I thank God failure doesn't exclude us from the new covenant because I don't know about you guys, I still fail a lot more often than I would care to admit. 
And I know before I got saved, I was failing left and right. Even when I thought I was doing the right thing. Even when I thought I was being a good person. Even when I thought I was, I was living up to some moral standard that I had set, I realized that I was failing over and over and over again. So if my lack of performance doesn't exclude me, why would their lack of performance exclude them? If they repent and turn back towards God, they will not be rejected. That's what the Scripture says. And the Scripture also says that as a nation, we're going to see that happen. And this is going to be a good thing. I want to, We look back to Romans 11, 12, right? How much more so with the full inclusion of Israel? It's going to be an amazing thing. And the truth is, is that instead of being against it, we should be praying for it because the, at least in my eyes, when people come to Jesus, it doesn't matter who they are, Jew or Gentile, we should be rejoicing. The Scripture said, if one lost sheep is found, heaven rejoices. So why aren't we rejoicing as well, no matter who's coming in? We should be rejoicing for them all. And then he goes on to say, God's promises and His gifts and His calling they are irrevocable. It doesn't say that some of them are. It doesn't say that most of them aren't. All of God's promises, His gifts, His callings, they are irrevocable. You guys want to know why? Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. When God says something, He's going to do it. That's half of our problem as Christians is that we have to make a decision and believe that God is who He says He is and that He's going to do what He says He's going to do. If you can't reconcile that inside yourself, you're always going to be in a mess. Your faith is always going to waver. But the reality is, is that God is who He says He is. He's going to do what He says He's going to do. He doesn't change. He doesn't lie. If God were to turn back on His promises... God would be acting in contradiction to His character. The thing about God acting in contradiction to His character, the moment that He does so, He's no longer God. The attributes of God, who He is, makes God who He is. So if He acts in contrast, in contradiction to those things, He's no longer God. But God will be consistent in Himself and true to His Word no matter what man does. Romans 3.3 says, What if someone faithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? Basically, what he's saying is that if God makes a promise, just because man doesn't live up to it, does that mean that God has not kept his promise? If God sent his son to die for all of us, but not a single person were to ever get saved, does that mean that God fails? Because his promise is still true. He's still living up to it. It doesn't matter how we respond. It doesn't mean that God has failed. Because he is faithful. And he continues on in verse 30 through 32. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now you have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that they may be made by the mercy shown to you. They also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So you remember that Paul is actually writing to the Gentiles right now and and uh, he's trying to head off on the past, this arrogance that they may have where they think that, oh, we're better than the Jews now because it's been passed on to us. So he wants to remind them that, wait a minute, guys. If you don't recall, it wasn't that long ago that you were disobedient to God. 
You look at other scriptures, Paul says that you were actually enemies of God. He says, but that's the case. You were disobedient, but in your disobedience, you have received mercy from God. How I many know mercy is a good thing? Not getting what we deserve. Boy, there are so many people that go around talking about they want what they deserve. And I'm like, are you guys crazy? Do you know what you actually deserve? Boy, we should be thankful that we don't get what we deserve most of the time. But they received mercy in their disobedience. Not because of their performance. Not because of their action. They were actually still a mess. But God extended mercy and grace towards them. He says, but now the Jews are acting in a disobedience. But because you were shown mercy, God is now going to show mercy to them as well. It basically boils down to a, a really simple conclusion is that we've all been disobedient. At least we got one amen over there. We've all been disobedient. We all require mercy and we all require grace. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, how many little old ladies you've helped across the street, you still need grace. You still need mercy. And God is not showing favoritism to anybody. For crying out loud, if God showed us mercy in our disobedience, why would we think He wouldn't do it to the Jews? God has not shown favoritism to any one group. And Romans 2.11 says there's no partiality with God, and I thank God that this is a good thing. That He doesn't show partiality. That He doesn't line us up and rank us based on some metric but He sees us all the same and He gives us all the same gift and He sent His Son for every single one of us so that we could just receive that free gift and be saved. Then in Romans 11, 33-35, He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! How inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord who has been His counselor, who has given a gift to Him that he might be repaid. See, after teaching on God's plan for salvation for both the Jews and the Gentiles, all Paul could do is praise God. That's where he's left. He could just praise God for what he's done. And I, I don't know, do you guys, when you read the Scriptures, do you, do you ever imagine what's going on? Do you ever think about what's going on? Like, I can just imagine... Because this is what happens to me when I study the Scripture and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going through notes and commentaries and I'm putting everything together and, and I always learn something new every time so I'm writing and I'm doing... This is good stuff. God, you're amazing. This is awesome. And I, I get excited when I'm preparing this because I see what God's doing and I'm understanding. God's revealing it to me more and more. And I can just imagine Paul as he's writing this letter and he's laying it out logically and he's consulting his Scriptures and he's praying he's, and he gets to the end and goes... God, you are amazing. This is incredible. Who would have thought this up? Nobody else would have but you. And he begins to praise God. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God and how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given Him a gift that He might be repaid, but He begins to, to worship Him. And I do the same thing when I read about God's plan for salvation. I am absolutely blown away. 
And I'm always so confused. Have you ever, anybody ever heard somebody try to compare the Bible or Jesus or God to a fairy tale, to a myth? Boy, if you, nobody else but me, you guys apparently don't get on the internet enough. So I've heard people that try to claim that it's just a myth, it's a fairy tale. You begin to try to share with them and some people, and I, I don't, I don't get it. Like I don't see how they miss some of the basic stuff. Because there's a great difference between the plan of salvation in the Bible created by God and all other plans of salvation by any other religion, including this, this religion of self that many people are kind of into today. Even in myths and stories, the narrative is always about man's triumph. Have you guys noticed that? I mean, that's like the the whole, I think if you go and, and go to school about writing stories, every story is basically a hero story. There's a problem, there's a hero who rises up and saves the day. Every, I think every story, they say, can be boiled down to that simple narrative, is that there's a, there's a problem, and a hero rises up and overcomes the problem. And in every story, no matter how old you go back to how far you go forward you look at the avengers today it's all about how the avengers save the day men come in and and save the world by very much destroying large portions of it but that's and you look back to any other religion it's all about how how what you can do to become right with god everything is about the things that you have to do the things you have to accomplish so that you can stand before your god and become right every other religion every other story every other myth ever told is so different than what we read in the Gospel. So why is the story so different? Because here's the difference. In the Gospel, man has failed. Man can't rise up. Man can't make himself right. So God steps down and makes us right with Him. Now that's a massive difference between man rising up and making himself right versus the understanding that man can't make himself right. So God stepped down and made us right with Him. So why is this story so different? If it's a myth just like all the rest, why is it so different than every other one? Why is this plan so contrary to everything else? Anybody know the answer? It's a simple solution. It's because it's His plan. And not ours. Had man wrote the Bible, it'd be a whole lot different. Amen. See, the truth is, is that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And we can't comprehend the depth and wisdom of His knowledge. Who would have thought that that was the right way to do things? And the truth is, is that no one knows His mind. No one can offer advice. Well, you can offer. Lord knows I've tried. To tell how I want to be done. And I'm thankful. He usually says no. Sometimes he says yes. And I make a mess. And he gets me out of it anyway. That's what happened when, with uh, King Saul. Israel said, we want a king. God said no. He said, well, we really, really want a king. God said no. But everybody else has a king. Anybody ever thrown a take that? Everybody else has a king around us. We want a king. God finally says, okay. No good for that, except for Jesus somewhere down the line to fix us from this mess. We can't comprehend God's plan and we don't have a better one. 
And the truth is, is that we've given him nothing that we can complain, that he could, we could proclaim that he owes us anything. That's why it says, if it was on the basis of works, it's no longer grace. God is amazing. Man, I look at his plan, I look at how he done, I'm always blown away by it. You want to know what else blows me away about God's plan? Is that God was able to wipe away our sin by sending his son while all the while never compromising himself. Because had I done it, I'm like, all right, God, I, I get this. Man can't do it on his own. Only you can do it. So then when man kicks in, this is my idea. He'd be like, why don't you just forget about it? Just wipe it away. But then he would no longer be God because he would no longer be just. He would no longer be right. So instead, the payment was still required. He just paid it himself. It blows me away that he made us right with him, that he gave us a brand new life all the while, not compromising who he was. God is amazing. Don't get me started. He sent a baby. What kind of nonsense plan was that? The most, the most, the, the creature that can take care of itself. I mean, you leave a baby for a short amount of time, it dies. Who thought that was a good plan? Send the Savior of the world as a baby. It sure as heck wasn't us. He's amazing. His plan is sometimes baffling to me. And it's certainly not how I would have done it. But his ways are not our ways. And that's what Paul is proclaiming right here. He's looking at this, this plan of salvation. He's like, man, God, you are amazing. You made a way for everybody. You haven't rejected the Jews. But you've also brought the Gentiles into the fold. This, I wonder if he went, this is his plan all along. God is amazing. Then he continues on, and we'll finish here today in verse 36. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God's the creator of all things. And all things that were created are actually for him. In case you guys didn't know that. Everything that God created was for Him. We were created for Him, to be in fellowship with Him. But as a result, all glory and honor belong to Him. We can't take credit for any of it. And God has provided salvation to the Gentiles, and the Jews are going to be welcomed home again. And none of these things were to glorify us. None of these things were to say the Jews are better than Gentiles, or the Gentiles are better than Jews. None of it was to to proclaim how awesome we were, all of it was to give God glory. It was to glorify Him. Amen? And just like Paul says, to Him be the glory forever. Amen? Amen. Well, that's the end of chapter 11 today, and we'll go ahead and get started in 12 next week. But let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.